Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And uh, today, Kyle will be catching up on cinema. Um, Correct. So for today's episode, I had Kyle catch up on Clive Barker's uh, Lord of Illusions uh, from 1995. Um, it's funny, because I don't actually have too much of an attachment to this film, but there are just too many little elements in here that just seemed perfect for the show. Um, yeah. We get the return of, of a couple of familiar faces uh, from previous episodes we've done. And uh, I've mentioned it before, I think, on one of the uh, Catching Up on Blu-ray episodes we did, that I have a, a fascination with uh, the works of Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read quite a bit about him, and I've watched a lot of media produced by him uh, without ever having read any of his books. But I feel like... Um, there are certain themes in his stories and a certain flavor to his his imagery and his content that I don't know. It, it to me it it, it just kind of works for me. So I feel like I maybe owe it to him to pick up one of his books at some point. But uh, Kyle, uh, how did you feel about Lord of Illusions? Well, you know, I've only seen um, Hellraiser and I think Hellraiser two. Yeah, I've only seen those two movies. So okay, my my knowledge of Clive Barker is contained to just those two films um i'm not crazy about those movies um i think there's some fun practical effects going on and that's pretty much it i can say about those movies <laughs> um but i can definitely see a huge difference in i think themes and tone uh between these be- between that franchise and this movie um and this came out but well after hellraiser if i'm not mistaken yes, yes. several years after um, so yeah, this was an odd movie. Um, it's an it's an odd clashing of genres because yeah. you have your noir detective story, uh, smack dab in the middle of a, a a macabre like supernatural story about magic and sorcery, and they never quite gel. But if, like in the beginning, especially, it feels like two disparate elements that, that just don't work together. It feels like oil and water. Um, but towards the end, it kind of started to make some sense to me what what was trying to what they were trying to accomplish with the story. Yeah. Um, do you want to give the rundown of it real quick before we jump yeah. into it? So the story of Lord of Illusions uh, concerns uh, some characters who are affiliated with uh, magic in the mainstream sense. Um, so we have a gentleman who practices. We have several people who practice like magic like stage shows kind of stuff like that um however right from the get-go we're introduced to a character who wields true magic like true otherworldly supernatural power um and so the idea here is that there's this one true magician who who wields actual magic so right from the get-go we're we're told that magic exists uh it's just very hard to find and very hard to learn um and Basically, the idea is this character exits the film almost right away, and almost the entire film is just building up to their return. And there's repetition of a phrase, uh, death is an illusion. Um, so it's basically known to the, the core cast of the story that uh, people can come back to life. Yeah. Uh, that death is, some, death is something that is temporary. Um, but yeah, this is it's a noir detective story concerning the world of uh, but magic, like magicians, both real and false. Mm-hmm. Um, this came out before the mu- before the Mummy, which was directed by Stephen Sommers, if I'm not 
I'm Correct. not mistaken. Correct. Um, but also had Kevin J. O'Connor, or KJOC, as I like to call him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely saw some uh, parallels between the two movies, uh, kind of with the structure. Um, there was a few instances where I'm like, that feels kind of like The Mummy. Uh, the ending kind of had that feeling for me. Um, you have a, a group of followers trying to bring back this dude, and uh, we need a sacrifice. You know, I don't know. It felt like the end of the mummy for me. Uh, well, the ending I mean, of this the, movie. The Stephen Summers connection is mostly why I picked this movie. That's uh, because Kevin J. O'Connor and Famke Jansen were both in Deep Rising together. <laughs> I didn't know Famke was in this. I was watching the credits, and then it, and it just goes Famke Jensen. I'm like, I looked at the year. I'm like, ninety five, a ninety five Famke. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, so, you perked so right sad. up, huh? <laughs> there was a scene, there was one scene in, in particular where she was wearing something, and I'm like, uh, what's going to happen next? Because that is a very specific, that's a, a very deliberate choice of wardrobe there. <laughs> and what I thought was going to happen did, it's just not as graphic as I was expecting. Um, gotcha. But anyway, so. Uh, another fun cast connection was uh, one of the chief antagonists of this film. Um, <laughs> his character's name is Butterfield. Um, not exactly the most intimidating name, although he's quite creepy in this film. Uh, you see the Bowie eyes? Yeah. yeah. Uh, his character's name is Butterfield. and uh, He's mostly the chief antagonist for about 80% of the film. But um, I did. I was not aware of this until I did a little bit of research, but I guess he was in a There Will Be Blood with Kevin J. O'Connor. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so lots of fun little connections going on. Uh, do you think so? I was watching this, and um, we're we're introduced to uh, Kevin J. O'Connor. Um, you want to go ahead? Let, let's get into. It. I, I yeah, can. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, I'm let's get what I'm to talking about later. So our opening shot, I believe, is just the desert. Yeah, uh, it's the Mojave Desert in 1982. Correct. Uh, we get a, a really, um, really well well considered well considered set of shots here. Uh, there's no dialogue. It's all just score and mm-hmm. the camera gliding across um, a series of props. Um, a lot of weird arts and crafts, like like we- weird shit you would find in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre type houses. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> like lots of bone like sculptures and, and weird weird shit, unsettling stuff. Um, all stuff that craftsmen put a lot of time and effort into making. Um, Needs to be said, the score in this film is actually one of the reasons I picked it also, because it stuck with me from when I was a kid. Um, good use of choir. I don't say that often, because I think choir is intrusive sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, the score is very uh, Danny Elfman-esque. Um, I actually had to look up who did the music. Uh, his name is Simon Boswell. And I don't know any of his other music, but I, um, on his list of credits, I did notice that uh, the, the fella that was supposed to do the island of dr moreau in the 90s uh-huh. um he did he did a lot of his movies anyway he, uh he's i think he's a very talented composer um again i haven't heard that much of his music but i thought what he did for this film was very good um so yeah we get lots of haunting shots of a very disturbing environment somewhere in the desert um then we get some shots of some cars dri- like driving very quickly through the desert uh, heading to what looks like a church of some sort but it's like dilapidated and it looks like a crack den now yeah um, and, and again there's there's like sculptures and crafts like made of bones and like doll heads and shit out front <laughs> um, 
and it turns out that uh, Kevin J. O'Connor is driving one of these cars, and he mm-hmm. has a he has a group, he has a posse with him, and they all pull up to this church, and they all have this solemn air about them. Like you can tell that they're rolling up on this place to do something either very bad or they're very scared of what they're going to find there. There's a they're familiar with the place, and I I got that. I got that feel when I started watching it. It's almost like we just cut to the... It was almost like the second movie, it kind of felt like. Like, something else happened before that made them come back. And we're, we're starting with that. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think that uh, one of the phrases that's tossed around out there, again, without being expressly explained to us, um, is, like, he's gone too far this time. Yeah. Um. And so then we cut to like the interior of this this church slash crack den, and uh, we get Mr. Kruger from uh, Seinfeld, um, dressed in robes. Uh, he's played by uh, Daniel von Bargen. Uh, I call I'm, I call him Mr. Kruger because that's mostly what I know him for. He played the uh, the headmaster at the military school in uh, Malcolm in the Middle. He is very funny. I know him from Super Troopers, um, and okay. I was wondering why he wasn't in the the newest one. The Super Troopers 2, which was very funny, uh, he passed away in 2015, is Aww, why he wasn't in there. Mr. Kruger. Um, no. But yeah, <laughs> he's uh, he's very funny, but he's always he's always a bad guy. He's If he's funny, he's usually a bad guy still. He plays a good stern like presence. Yeah. Um, he doesn't do that in this movie. Uh, he's playing like full-on psycho in this movie. Villain. He does it pretty well. Yes. Um, he looks smelly and just awful to be around <laughs> um so we got a real cult situation going on here um he's wielding fire in his hand and he's talking to these people um much like a cult leader would he's just saying vagueisms, just uh the if you want to be like me and stuff and so forth drink the yeah Kool-Aid, and it needs to be you know? said he's wearing white robes yeah uh, it, he it, clearly hasn't bathed in in months but yeah, he's wearing white robes. He's trying to be some sort of messiah. Yeah. Uh, the character's name is Nix, by the way, and there's a lot of repetition in that, so you're never going to forget that. Um, no. I really, I really love the casting of of his uh, flock mm-hmm. of these cult of these cultists because um, really excellent, really excellent casting in the sense that there's a, a good mix of ordinary looking people and like people you'd find it like orgies and shit oh <laughs> like, no they look like like wild. The, the variety the, the, sh- the variety of shapes and sizes of these people uh just looks appropriate like they it looks look, genuine they look like they were from wild wild country um <laughs> rajneesh Puram. Ra- rajneesh Puram. um that's what these look, i mean yeah they're good looking people um they're pretty like they're not ha- haggard is that the word i'm looking for yeah like it's a why I say it's a good mix is because there's like the one guy who's often put front and center in the frame. He has glasses. The David he, Kep looking guy. Yeah, he he looks like he you could you know do business with him. Yeah. Like on a Friday or something, but then you have like the the guy that's always handling a snake with he never has a shirt on, and when it, whenever they start like it's very sexual his, when he's holding the snake yeah, too <laughs> like you can tell he's there for the party basically and then you have like the true believers and then you have like the heavy set woman who's like just like draped over everyone that's near her you got the guy that's just there i'm like nah i'm just here for the good coke and blowjobs yeah you man. can tell there's the guy who's just there for the drugs <laughs> and then you have the absolute true believer though uh the butterfield character who was sitting out front when uh when everybody pulls up to the church uh he I- has a very distinctive look. He has bleached eyebrows. Yeah. One, one like... Uh, Bowie eye. Bl- 
yeah one one like blue eye or like white eye almost yeah. like the iris is completely just blue and the other one i think is brown um and he's get, got like daisy dukes on by the way i want to put this out there um i have a lot of respect for people who can start cults because it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing for you to convince a group of people that you are somehow a god or godlike and i'm like it's it's truly incredible it's it's terrible like it's a very stupid thing but i'm like at a, at a distance i'm like i have to admire him but i have to I, I gotta know do people in cults have they never read about cults have they yeah never? actually that that's like a thought that i've had too it's like surely you know like you have some idea of of what this is right <laughs> it's yeah like, you do know that this has happened before and hasn't ended well for many other people right if you are wearing robes and you are carrying yourself like everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about and everybody else is wrong in that culty sense like you need to like <laughs> be able to step back and be like oh fuck i'm in a cult like I even <laughs> what you need to do is you need to have a recording of of like one of their sermons or something and you need to capture that moment oh, where the one guy in the front row is like oh that's what this is <laughs> Rajneesh Purim was incredible the the um it's the docu series on uh, Netflix because you don't have Netflix you don't know yeah. um wild wild I know, country I know about this it's um, it's really it's really good. The Netflix are just they're great at docu series. If they they've done nothing else right, they've done that right. Well, I mean, uh, one of our favorite movie critics, like their website, I remember reading an article about uh, attending a uh, film festival mm-hmm. and what it's like to to attend a film festival. Basically, they're mock they're talking shit about the idea that like as soon as you exit the theater in the lobby, there's always these guys. They're the netflix guys mm-hmm. basically if there is a if there's a documentary to be purchased for distribution netflix is there and will <laughs> outbid you <laughs> take the money and That's shut funny. up <laughs> uh, all right so, yeah, anyway they, with our they, plot. they gobble up the the documentaries but oh, they have a fucking mandrill in this uh cult um and it, it made the poster by the way i don't know why because it's in two shots of this movie but it's on the fucking poster if you look it up yeah they have a fucking mandrill. I don't know why. It's just there. I mean, we're in the we're in the estate like we're establishing the movie. Like we're not even five minutes in. We have child kidnapping, a baboon. Um, I are they cannibals too? Are like, where is this meat coming um, from? Yeah. Uh, so when Kevin J O'Connor and his his buddies, there's a I think two ladies and a guy with a shotgun. Yes. Um, yeah, and Kevin J O'Connor has a pistol as well. Um, everybody's armed. That's yes. what you need to take away from that. Um, when they enter this uh, this den, this uh, the crack den, <laughs> um, they come in armed, and none of the cultists seem terribly disturbed by this. Uh, but not at it's all. It's important to note that the cultists recognize them. So right away, we understand that Kevin J. O'Connor and his group of people um, are ex-members of this cult. Uh, apparently, they were part of the flock but they broke away somehow. And the reason why they're here uh, is because Nix had had his people abduct a young girl. Yeah, she's like 11, like 10 or like, she's 11 like or 12. 11 or 12, I think. She's on yeah. the, I mean, she's on the cusp of puberty, so you can kind of get where we're going next. Like, Yeah, uh, it's, it's uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Um, but when they first enter the home, and they're pointing guns at these cultists, and again, they don't seem to consider the guns at all. Um, they're, they're high on the master, man. They're just fucking feel. We just got done with an orgy. The yeah, they're orgy, like they're actually. like rubbing up on the couches and the walls and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, a couple of the people though are like butchering something. Yeah. On a table, we can't make out what, but they're making a mess, and they have like fresh blood on their mouths. Yeah. Um. So I wouldn't doubt it if they're cannibals. Well, um, the the big either that they're just really shitty cooks. <laughs> is that what um, he's like? Hang out the drill. Is that what you're talking about? The... No. Uh, so, in uh, Nix's like chambers, I guess, yeah. uh, where he's keeping the girl. So the girl's chained up in a corner. Um, they haven't like a. It looks like a crucifix. Yeah. But it looks like it's made of human bones. And uh, when Kevin J. O'Connor finally gets to the chamber to try to rescue the girl, um, Nix has suspended himself on this crucifix. Yeah. And it's it's gigantic. It's a huge, it's a huge structure. Somebody again, production design. Like, yeah. Like you said about the Hellraiser movies. Um, one another reason why uh, Clive Barker's stuff tends to appeal to me is that he has an eye for visuals. Very much. Very um, much. I think I think he is likely a, a multimedia artist. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's a pen and paper or a painter or whatever, but when it comes to designing sets and props and stuff, he does seem to give a shit. Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah, that Nick the... spins around on this altar, but the mandrill I was referring to is the animal in the room. Uh, it's it's like a offshoot of a baboon with a, a blue and red face. Yeah. Um, he has he just has one on a chain, and he uses it to uh, terrify this girl. It would terrify and, me. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm an adult. Dude, like, dude, it's it's a baboon with a blue and red face. Baboons are known to tear faces off. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, but, I like my odds better with the baboon than a chimp, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be faced with either one of them. No, no, you, you you don't want that. I don't want that. No, you don't want that. Um, mm. it's important to note here, and this is important, like character beat. Uh, uh, Butterfield, the uh, gentleman with the bleached eyebrows and the goof, the wonky eye. Uh, and the Daisy Dukes, also important to note. Um, Kevin J. O'Connor's character's name is Swan, by the way. And there's a lot of repetition of that, too, so you won't forget that either. Um, when Swan and his group are uh, approaching the building, uh, Butterfield actually tips Nick's off to this. So he's aware that he's coming, but he seems happy about it because he wants Swan back. So And... Uh, this is all told through just like looks more so than words. I actually really appreciated that. Um, Butterfield, the way Butterfield talks of Swan and the way he looks at Nix tells you that he's like he feels like a jilted lover, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not necessarily lover, but like he's he's the he's not the favored son. He's far. He's clearly he's more devout than Swan because he stuck around, but you can tell Nix only cares when swan's name comes up i feel like it's kind of like nebula and gamora in, yes very um, similar. like he's the gamora like they were both kind of fighting for number two and kjoc was the gamora like he was the one that has a conscience yeah and then the other one is nebula well, um yeah butterfield is nebula in the sense that he'll forever be vying for you know dad's appreciation or whatever but he'll never get it yeah even though he'll try ten times harder, that that's the di- the the dynamic that I was getting. And and what I liked about it is that it they don't talk about it. No, Butterfield doesn't get his big moment where he spills his guts. It's just the way he behaves and his motives 
spell it out to you. Yeah. And we don't need any more than that. It's 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 a good example of storytelling done on the fly. Yeah. Um, so, long story short, uh, Swan's group they uh, they enter the chamber. Nix tries to convince him to come back because apparently he has a really strong attachment to Swan. Yeah. Uh, it's never quite explained why, other than the fact that Swan seems to have uh, taken to his teachings much better than most people. Because mm-hmm. um, again, Nix can create fire in his hand. He's demonstrated this. He has actual power. In fact, he demonstrates it again uh, when he's confronted. He inserts his fingers <laughs> into Kevin J. O'Connor's temple. Like mm-hmm. He just penetrates his skull seamlessly and uh, causes him to have visions. And what did you think of these effects? Um... I'm trying to remember that now. It, I, it I kind started of, it kind of I, reminiscent of Batman Begins. I was uh, what, the fear toxin stuff. I was watching this last. Oh, okay, now I remember. Okay, the faces start to melt a yeah, little bit. Yeah, the faces start to tear open, and then there's like just mucusy goo underneath. It's like it looks almost like an in, insect covered in goo. <laughs> yeah, that. I I kind of. Uh, the, the computer, there's a certain sequence we'll get to, uh, the, or the computer, the CGI. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. But this was actually better. I think this was yeah. one of the better CGI moments in the movie. Um, it's kind of neat. Uh, the faces are kind of like melting a little bit. And uh, aren't, they, aren't they getting kind of glowy eyes, too? What I remember most is that the faces almost like tear open down the middle. And then there's... It, it's a neat combination of effects because I like effects like this where you can tell it was done at least partially practically but it's masked in such a way that you can't quite put together how it was done like there's too many layers to it because clearly there's some form of CGI manipulation to remove their face because you can tell because it's a little blurry and a little goofy looking but underneath it it looks like a practical creation done in the shape of a person's head That, but the the, sh- the actual shape and the form of it is completely alien to the point that it doesn't look anything like a face. It just looks like a what's-it that is uncomfortable to look at because it's gooey and awful. <laughs> oh. But yeah, uh, Nyx causes Swan to have these awful visions every time he looks at people. Uh, and in the ensuing chaos, uh, some shots are fired. Um, the f- initial one, though, is fired by the girl mm-hmm. that's chained up in the corner. Uh a handgun was dropped in the chaos. She puts a hole in Nix's chest, and he just won't go down. <laughs> um, well, the uh, gentleman with the shotgun has to shoot him in. as well. Um, then we get this really... Um, I don't know how you felt about the, the mask prop. I thought it was pretty cool. It looked really heavy. Um, yeah. But it it looked like it was made of actual iron or something. Yeah, it looked legit. Um, this was This was good. It was kind of painful to watch like it was one of those like cringy moments where you like twist mm. the screws into them um that felt very hellraiser-ish uh when i was watching that i'm like yeah that, that looks like it um yeah that that was good um yeah so what happens is nix is effectively killed in the scene but i don't think officially no um, he's incapacitated and immediately uh what'd you call him k k kjoc <laughs> Uh, uh, Swan <laughs> jumps on top of him and uh, without even looking at the person he, he calls for one of his associates he just says bag Yeah. and and one of the ladies tosses him a, a, a bag 
with an instrument in it that's this horrible iron mask that uh, he uses some sort of magical, like, legitimate magical trickery mm. to, like, he bites his thumb, I think, and uh, drops the blood onto the, the screws that affix the mask to the person's actual skull. Yeah. And upon the blood touching the screws, the screws, like, automatically drill themselves into Nix's head. Mm-hmm. And it, like like you had mentioned, it's pretty savage. And the idea, I guess, is that they have to use this mask to bind him in an attempt to keep him, to keep him from coming back because it's assumed that he will come back. Yeah. And then they apparently bury him alive. We don't actually see it, but that's the plan. Very so emo. Drag this him is, out and bury him. This is very much emo tap. This is more of like the mummy than I've realized. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin J. O'Connor forever faded to do battle with mummies. No kidding. So yeah, um, and then they they win the day basically. Yeah, and we and flash forward to uh, thirteen years later. So uh, I read that Scott Bakula was in this movie. Now that is a name I have heard a lot, but can mm-hmm. rarely place a face. Um, it's quite a face. Quite a face, but he's completely opposite um, to another uh, another guy who I can always see his face, but I can never remember his name. But yet they're both about the same age and in the same kind of movies. Um, <laughs> I don't know his, I don't know the dude's name. He's in, oh, American Gangster. He's in some stuff, but it doesn't really matter. Um, okay. But Bakula, who is he? This scene in particular looks like John McClane the day before the di- beginning of Die Hard 3 because you've got him in like the tank he's got like the, the tank top on with the gun holster and he's drinking beer and I'm like this is John McClane the day before he has to go down well, it to- even takes place in New York like oh. his introduction New York <laughs> yeah New um, York that it looked quotes. like yeah, <laughs> it um, didn't look like New York at all. But he is fit as fuck now I think we should probably go ahead and mention if you're not familiar with this director um, he is gay and it's not I like I've definitely seen it in the Schumacher Batman and, and by the way I'm going to go ahead and defend Schumacher real quick um, I know there was some um, like the statues and um, the, the his two Batman movies were very detailed but I was watching Batman Returns and Tim Burton definitely had those like those Gotham like uh, big man big man statues oh, in yeah, there as well yeah especially in uh, Batman Returns yeah, like, yeah no, they had the statues pulling the levers and stuff. Oh yeah, I was like, no, lay like, off Schumacher. There, Burton was already doing that stuff. <laughs> Just calm down. No, but I, I think I, I've mentioned this before, and I, I don't think I need to be guarded saying it. I think Clive Barker, being a gay gentleman, uh, I think from the UK, um, I believe so, is a huge part of the thematic content in a lot of his stories. Um, I don't see it in Hellraiser. That that's the point I was gonna make. Was like in Hellraiser one and two, I don't really feel it or see it in those movies. I definitely can see it a bit, more, quite a bit more in this movie. And there's actually some interesting, um, interesting details in here I want to bring up as we go along. Um, but you can you can definitely feel that in this movie. Um, compared I mean, to what a, his other movies. A theme that carries over into a lot of his work tends to center around like taboos. So, mm-hmm. like, unconventional romance. Um, I mean, that's the core of the first Hellraiser, is a man and a woman who love each other that shouldn't love each other because it's it's taboo and it's it's harmful to the people around them. Uh, I could see that being experienced for gay men of a certain generation. Yeah, um, very much. Night, Nightbreed is one of his more notable films that the entire concept of it is basically the X-Men, 
It's like mm-hmm. a society of undesirables and like unconventional peoples who create a surrogate family for themselves off off in some other lo- location and then oh yeah at the end of the movie it gets invaded by like mainstream society the man or whatever mm-hmm. and in this one like yeah it's kind of funny like the casting um, I don't know why Bakula is here. He's, oh, he's I can a, tell you exactly why Bakula is here. <laughs> I mean, he's jacked and he's he handsome. Is, he is <laughs> about forty years old in this, but he has like what, I, like I like, that's like the ideal body that I would want <laughs> at that age. Like no, he's 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 quite handsome and he's quite jacked. But um, the funny part of the casting, and it's not funny. I think it's actually kind of interesting. Is that a lot of like the extras in this movie? And I think in most of Clive Barker's movies are people from off the beaten path. Yeah. Like people that in like a mainstream Hollywood production probably wouldn't have a place being an extra. Like a joke that I've I've had about Spider-Man 3 for ages now is if you look at the the extras in that movie, everyone is fucking gorgeous. Oh, really? Everyone in that movie is is fucking gorgeous. I think Elizabeth Banks is the the assistant to... um, What's his yeah, face? Yeah, and uh, JK what's his face? Simmons. One of the Deschanel's is like a receptionist in the second one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but like just looking at the extras, like the people in the crowd, like saying, hey, look, Spider Man, it's like, holy shit. It's <laughs> 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 like, I want to move to New York. Um, uh, but like in this one, um, I happened to notice that uh, I actually had to look up his name, sorry, but um, his name is Danny Woodburn. Uh, he's mm. the little person that was in a lot of Seinfeld episodes with the with Oh, the beard. yes, I know exactly who you're talking about, yeah. You know what he does in this movie? Huh. He plays a crime scene photographer. I didn't even notice that. It, exactly. Who would, like, who who other than Clive Barker who, or, you know, somebody who has an eye for, you know, people from off the beaten path would cast him as a non-speaking role that only has one shot, like, one scene in this movie? Well, it's interesting because it's, they're, they're not even making a big deal out of putting a little person. That's what I'm, that's the point yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah. is that he's not making a big deal of it. And uh, uh, in the police station scene, uh, there's like transvestites just there, mm-hmm. and they're paid no mind. They're just there. Yeah. Like there's there's no attention. Like nobody's pointing at them, making a big deal out of it. I'm not sure that's the correct. Um word for it anymore but since this is 1995 that's exactly what they would have been referred to as and that's exactly what he was aiming towards um i'm not sure what the correct what what to call yeah I, like I, that anymore. I know what you mean either yeah. but, but the, don't, the point ne- i'm going at is if you, the point if, i'm trying to drive yeah. home here is that i uh, i'm not surprised that you know when it comes to casting and decorating his films and stuff like you're you're going to get something different than you would from your average person um, yeah, Scott Bakula is playing a private investigator, uh, PI as they're known, uh-huh. um, and he is approached to do another job, um, and he's kind of reluctant as most people who apparently, if you are a good detective or a good PI, a good job you just never want to take. Like they never want to take the job. They are just so reluctant, and the story's no different here. Uh, he, doesn't want to take it. The dude's like, got to take it. And he's like, well, okay. Um, they're drinking Budweiser. Nice little product placement yeah. there. Um, yeah, the way this scene opens is, uh, I think the character's name is Loomis. I don't think we ever see him again, though. No. I think he's a he's a detective or an actual cop or something. Uh, he uh, basically kicks open Bacula's door. By the way, Bacula's character's name is 
Harry D'Amour. D'Amour. Um, it's a very uh, unusual name. Uh, very catchy, though. Uh, I'm not sure if there was plans to have this be a, a franchise character, but I could totally see it. Mm. I mean, he's this is basically John Constantine, but in the U.S. Uh, from the Hellraiser, uh, Hellblazer comics, rather. If this you know would... John Constantine. Yeah. Um, same this... same basic character, um, and I get the sense I could be I could be wrong, but I think uh, this is a franchise character of Barker's. Um, however, Ooh, in terms yeah, of like, films, be... I don't think he ever got past this one he would have been played by uh treat williams in the second one. Oh, that would have been awesome yeah <laughs> i would have loved to have seen that i mean this movie actually would have been way better if treat williams i think treat williams should have been in this movie yeah <laughs> that would have been great i think treat williams has got a bit more dad bod than uh bacula there so i don't think he was gonna make but i mean bad. he's basically playing the same role yeah. like he has that kind of like swagger about him where it's like things yeah. are getting crazy but you know it's all right thinking <laughs> himself like, is a little Indian he's like hey 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 guys let's watch the language there's yeah. a lady in the room <laughs> um, but yeah um i really loved uh when we see the reason why uh mr demore is uh drinking himself stupid in this scene um when loomis is giving him this job which is apparently like 10 grand to just find someone in la Sign me up. Yeah, no shit. It's for insurance fraud, too. It's not like it's a super dangerous gig or anything. Um, We get this really cool scene where um, we get just a few flashes, and this is why it's good. It's it's just a couple flashes. We don't even come back to it later in the movie, except at the very, very, very end um, of an exorcism. And the images we only get flashes of it it's only a, a couple of seconds of screen time but we get some sort of long-haired demon lady uh, a young boy covered in blood being oh, embraced yeah. by this demon and there's like a lightning storm and shit blowing around this that. room and uh this demon says to uh i mean this is from demore's perspective so it's talking directly to the camera it says touch the darkness demore it's been waiting for you and then it just cuts back to him drinking and talking to his friend loomis and like loomis i think just asked him like what have you been what have you been up to or whatever and he's just like some stuff you know <laughs> clearly smoking, so apparently and from uh, the decorations in his apartment or his office or whatever you can tell that uh he was on a case involving an exorcism recently mm-hmm. and from what we can from what we can glean from uh from those that flash uh it did not go well no and that brings us to L.A. So now he has a reason to go to L.A. It's to find some guy who's doing insurance fraud. Uh, a guy who looks like if Andrew Dice Clay was smushed down to about five foot two. Um, he, he looks is... like Rob Schneider in Grown Ups, if you've oh, ever seen God. that. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I hate Rob Schneider. Ugh. Um, they had they had the, the thing where like Nicolas Cage breaks down his most iconic roles. They did that. And it's good. It's, it's nice... It's a nice little video. I think I sent it to you. Um, he he talks about his characters, but they Rob Schneider apparently has one. I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, really? This is what we want to know about his iconic roles. Anyway, I'm sorry, don't <laughs> get off on tangent here. But anyway, so yeah, he's uh, he's found him now. There's a funny scene here. Uh, Bacula's munching on a cheeseburger while he's uh, casing the place out. He's found him and he takes a bite of it. And he's just like, ugh, phew, throws it away. Which, 
this is weird because California is known because they're in Los Angeles, if I do believe. Um, yeah, is known for. They're cheeseburgers. They have the yeah. best cheeseburger franchises, apparently. Yeah, uh, in and out is like people swear by it. Not what New York is known for. So wouldn't it make sense for him to be chewing on a piece of pizza and be like, "Ugh, this isn't New York at all." I just—it was a that weird. That would be more appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. It was and a like, fun little detail. It was. Um, I'm like, well, where did he go? I'm like, I want to know where that burger's from. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Bacula, I need to know. Like, so I don't go there. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's, and maybe like culturally, like that is something. If Clive, I can't remember if Clive Barker is, is British. Um, but maybe that's just something like when he, because that's the joke about Californians is all they do is talk about like the best burger place. No, 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 you got to go to this burger place. And maybe that was his response. Like, would you guys shut the fuck up about these cheeseburgers already? <laughs> They all suck, and he just throws it out. But anyway, so um, uh, Andrew, the Dice Man here, he gets a call, and he uh, yeah, Dice Man is fooling around with two uh, ladies of the night. Yeah, uh, he he's what Bill Paxton wants to be doing in the dark <laughs> backward. <laughs> um, I forget. Do we get some some mancock in here? Close. I was paying close. attention. Yeah, it was pretty be- close because this is a Clive Barker a Clive Barker film, so. I was I was kind of paying attention you know, equal, to that. Equal to opportunity see that, nudity, you know. I I, I could have swore I saw a flash of Mancock, but I'm I don't not, can't be certain. I'm not I, going to go back and check. No, I'm not going to go back and check. I don't think we do, but we get very very close, um, which wasn't super popular in movies at the time. It's still oh, not absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he gets a call and he has to. I, I mean, surprisingly, he's like he gets a call and he's like I have to leave my hookers here for a little bit, but he's totally fine. He's not even like. Come on, man! Like I got a thing going here. He just—he's like, all right, I got to go run an errand real quick. So Bacula's following him past the club from the mask, or uh, uh, we own the night. Either way, <laughs> um, yeah, he's following him, and he's kind of walking up to the the back entrance of a building, up a staircase, and uh, Bacula follows him. And the guy goes in, and as Bacula's coming up the stairs to kind of follow him, the dude just. Jets back out of the building and yeah, he knocks him down the staircase. Knocks o- knocks him over a little bit. So now you have Bacula's attention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Bacula, um, instead of chasing after the guy, uh, he decides to investigate where the guy was running out from. Oh, and, he's uh, a PI. He finds, of course, I think, he some is. bloody footprints to begin with. Um, he has a revolver with him, by the way, because he's a PI. Uh, he walks into this place and it's revealed to be a uh, like a tarot card reading establishment of some sort. Um, and then he is accosted by a skinhead with jagged like like filed down teeth to be like to be like fangs basically. Um, there's something I want to point out real quick. Mm. There's a really interesting um, detail in this scene. Um, I don't know if you noticed it, but uh, there's a bust. And it is, it's actually a phrenology cranium. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's a bust of a head. And are you familiar with phrenology at all? A little bit. Um, it's the, uh, it's the study of the shape and size of the cranium as an indication of character. I've seen Django. (laughs) Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That is in there. That's, that's, that's a little bit. Yeah. Um. (laughs) That's the dark side of it. That's the very much the dark side of it. But this was a legit practice uh before you know modern psychology and they thought that the like touching bumps was like indicative of the brain um and i just thought that was it was it was a weird 
It was an interesting little detail to throw in there of all the things because nothing's in a movie on accident, and I just thought it was interesting that a phrenology well, I mean, bust was in there. Clive Barker has demonstrated time and time again he's he's interested in like the occult and like supernatural kind of stuff, um, an- antiquated you know medical practices I'm sure fall under that because at <laughs> at some point most forms of technology and science are regarded as witchcraft at some point you know, before it's fully understood so I could totally see that being in that same umbrella. One of my favorite sh- uh, TV, one of my favorite shows, um, Archer, which I've been trying to get you to watch for a long time now. I think I might just get you that. I might get you the first few seasons on Blu-ray for Christmas. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Yeah, it's gonna happen. I, um, I can probably find it. But there's a funny gag. One of the characters is supposed to be. Um, he was raised by Nazi scientists in Argentina, and huh. uh, it's pretty funny. He's talking to somebody. Uh, a, he's a doctor, and he's talking to him, and they're like, what's the problem? He's like, you don't know what the problem is. He's like, you don't even have to be a first-year phrenology student to know what the, the issue is here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just in passing. Like, Really, you learn most of, mostly about phrenology if you're a psych major, so it was just a nice little detail they throw into the show. Um <laughs> But it just I just thought it was an interesting thing for him to throw in here. Well, and also, I mean, again, this is a an office that specializes in tarot and mm-hmm. things like that. I would I would imagine that it would be appropriate for them to have something like that in their office. Yes. Uh, it it fits the motif. Um but yeah, so this guy comes at him like a fucking freight train and they have a scuffle. Uh Bacula gets some shots into his ribs. Um and then the uh coup de gras is your phrenology bust uh, smashed over the skinhead's head and it's used to knock him unconscious however briefly um, so with that guy dispatched Bakula collects himself and moves even deeper into the building and then he comes across a pretty horrific scene of uh, the, the uh, black gentleman from the opening of the film uh, the one yes. with the shotgun who had helped take out Nick's um, now older, obviously. Yes. And mustachioed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I almost didn't recognize him at first. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's the, guy uh, from the mustache and the and the salt and pepper hair made it a little difficult, but yeah, yeah. you figure it out eventually. Um, he's like strapped to a chair uh, with many many knives and scalpels, just arbitrarily just inserted into various parts of his body. Um, he looks like he's not having a good time, and then uh, Mr. Butterfield makes his reappearance in the film, uh, mm. played by a different actor. Uh, again, the same guy that was apparently apparently in There Will Be Blood, alongside Kevin J. O'Connor. Um, I don't know who he played in There Will Be Blood, but yeah, I don't remember. Uh, he still got his bleached eyebrows and his wonky eye, and now he has some like, where are they? Uh, skin tight bronze pants, I think. They're like yes, latex. It's bronze colored pants. Yes, uh, it's a it's a deliberate wardrobe. Um, that's pretty much what he's wearing he looks like he's going to a club like he just got yeah. back from a club or going to a club well, even the way his hair is done up like he, yeah. he he's styled um yes very but much. he's doing some pretty dirty work on this guy but yeah he's got gloves a uh, skin tight uh, v-neck shirt of some sort looks um and then uh yeah his skin tight pants he's svelte fella by the way yeah um and it turns out he's torturing uh this gentleman the the, the owner of this establishment uh, for some sort of information. Um, we don't quite know what it is, but he's asking about names. Uh, Jennifer Desiderio is the big name that's thrown out there. Uh, we're not entirely sure what he's talking about, but apparently whatever it is he wants, he wants it really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
there's a funny moment here that I don't know if it was intentional, but it got me laughing. So the the skinhead guy with the jagged teeth, mm-hmm. um, while Bacula's standing in the doorframe observing this scene, the skinhead guy like runs in from behind him, and just as he's coming into the doorway, Bacula slams the door in his face, and it's like a it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. Like he slams the door in his face and knocks him out again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he just like turns around for a second, and then he's like, "Oh, well, that took care of itself." Worked, <laughs> and then yeah. goes back to paying attention to Butterfield. <laughs> And uh, they have a little bit of an exchange, and uh, for the second time, the skinhead comes at the door. Except this time, he's like in a frenzy, and we get this cool shot of him like using his fingers to uh, tear into the wood around the doorknob. Mm-hmm. So, like, effectively removing the doorknob from the door with his fingers. Yeah, he's a very strong fella, apparently. Yeah, and uh, he busts in the room, and uh. Again, Bacula gets rid of him without any real effort. He just, like, throws him out the window. Yeah. <laughs> no no effort. And, uh, in the, in the ensuing chaos, though, Butterfield escapes. And, uh, the, uh, the black gentleman has a, uh, exchange with Bacula here, where he, uh, grabs him by the hand, and he, he says, he basically tells him, I'm going to read you now. So he's going to give him a free tarot reading. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, he tells him, you must walk the line between heaven and hell. I think he even says, it is your destiny. And I was like... Destiny? Maybe maybe not say that. <laughs> People don't like to be told that. <laughs> no, I don't like to be told that. <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he unfortunately expires right after that. Oh yeah, fun little detail here. Um, after this guy dies, Bacula turns over one of the cards on, uh, on the table in front of them. And it's a series of swords... It's like a, it's a big arrangement of swords facing downward. Mm-hmm. Put a pin in that. I didn't even <laughs> notice that. I was wondering why he was... Well, yeah, put a pin in that. And uh, uh, Yeah, the ensuing crime scene, by the way, is where uh, uh, the guy from Seinfeld, the, the little person, shows no. up as the crime scene photographer. Again, no words. He's just there for, like, one shot. And uh, Bakula's was talking to the detectives. He's like, listen, I'm a PI. I was following this guy, and this is where it led me. I'm not a part of this, but yes, I'll be available for further questioning if you do need me. Um, um, And then can we introduce introduce Famke? Yes, please. So (laughs) as soon as I found out that Famke was in this, we get a a shot to a very nice um, Los Angeles home with a huge pool, and there's somebody swimming in there. And up out of the water comes 19... Um, 1995 Famke Jensen, um, mm-hmm. looking just on point. Yeah, it's on quite, point. Quite hell. spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's uh, the maid is bringing out some food. It looks like, or she's coming out to talk to her about something. She's like, oh, the dude uh, KJOC. He seems upset about something. So, cut to um, Kevin J O'Connor. Um, He's alive, and this is apparently his home. He's in his office, and um, we see like it looks like some Houdini-looking artwork on his on his wall. So we kind of get the gist that he's a very, um, a very successful magician, and he's puffing on a cigar. He's actually not even puffing on a cigar. He's he's smoking on a cigar. Um, and this looks like early morning too. I think this is uh, the the following day, like early in the morning, and he's stressed out about something and um he mentions to Famke like she's trying to calm him down and he's like hey 
uh, I want you to be there tonight. I've got a show tonight, and I've got a new new illusion I'm doing. Um, but does do they mention that the illusions that he's doing are not magic? Or I'm sorry, not are, yet. Not yet. Okay. Um, the main the main piece of information that gets exchanged here is he he's acting like he's on a Valium or something. Mm-hmm. Like he's very aloof in this scene, and she's like she actually like puts her arms around him from behind and is like trying to be comforting. In fact, I think the maid even prefaces things by saying he has something on his mind. Yeah. Um, as it so happens, he has a newspaper with him in his study or his office or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it has an article in it about the uh, the gentleman who we just saw die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character's name is Quaid. I just remembered that. It's a very memorable name for a variety of reasons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> start the reactor. Free Mars. Um, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Um, so it turns out that he is now aware that this guy died, and it's apparently very distressing to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't exactly know why, although we can we can assume that it has to do with uh, their mutual fear of this cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he mentions it to her, he says Quaid is dead, and her expression kind of tells us that she's in the know as well. Yeah, um, uh, she's supposed to be the, the. I think she's supposed to be playing the young girl. Uh, we learn that much later, but yes, she is. Yeah. Um, character's name is Dorothea, which is a very common name. <laughs> no, yeah. that's a very strange name. Yeah, Dorothea. <laughs> um, but uh, I think this leads to the... Uh, I was calling him the consigliere. Yeah, the butler. Or uh, yeah. His, the character's name is Valentin, but I was... In my mind, I kept thinking of the consigliere from uh, The Punisher, the 2004 one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. He's, like, he's just... he's Yeah, he's like some sort of assistant that's like way up in all their business though yeah it's like too involved to the point that's kind of creepy yeah he's he's got more i mean he's like alfred it's like, does he wipe both of your butts <laughs> like has he seen both of you naked well, i mean they're they're house like the the maid or housekeeper she seems to be very much like involved with them like he's got something on his mind or whatever yeah like you said like he seems upset this morning like well what the fuck do you care like <laughs> Seriously, but so yeah, yeah so, she she comes down the stairs and she has a fabulous white dress. Yeah, um, some of her outfits in this movie are pretty horrific, <laughs> like the pink one. The yeah. pink one is but the, the reason one. But for the, the, yeah. this white dress is pretty awesome. Uh, works for me. Uh, she comes down the stairs and she has the newspaper with her and she hands it off to Valentin, the consigliere, and says. Uh, this gentleman, and we have a picture of Bakula in the newspaper. She says, "This gentleman, Demore, um, could you find him for me?" Mm. Um, then I guess we immediately cut to a graveyard because that's you know a normal place to meet people. And uh, Valentin has found Demore and brings him to meet uh, Famke. And that's <laughs> why so I have many notes in my. In <laughs> I have many notes that start with "oof." <laughs> Oof for Famke, but a lot of them say Oof Famke's wardrobe, but but in the good way. But then right next to that, I have Oof Bacula's wardrobe, but in the bad way. Yeah, because <laughs> um, yeah, his uh, his attire in this uh, cemetery scene is very uh, Seinfeld esque. Everything's brick, 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 very ba- very yeah. tucked in and very baggy at the same time. It's just not a good look. Not for a good look. He doesn't want to be the first pirate. <laughs> um. So yeah, do do they talk before they get to the magic show, or do they meet at the magic show and go sit down? Uh, they talk, uh, which leads to the magic show. Um, so basically, no, I mean, him she and wants Famke. to talk to him. 
because she wants him to drop whatever it is he's doing, whatever investigation he's currently on, uh, to pivot towards investigating the death of this Quaid guy. Yeah. Um, and the the framing in the scene I really liked. A lot of really tight close-ups. Um, again, the casting is a little weird because Bakula just looks like a really friendly guy. Yeah. Like he doesn't look like a hard-boiled detective. Like I mean, he's he's got the build for it, I guess. But like his face, he just seems like a really cool guy. He's not drinking beer. Like yeah, I, and that was another thing that bothered me is the first time we meet him, he's haggard. Like mm-hmm. he he actually looks like maybe he did a bit of method acting here. Like maybe he didn't sleep all night or something. Because like his his eyes are like bloodshot. He looks like shit. He looks like boiled crap. Yeah, and he's got like five o'clock shadow and then some. He still looks good. But as soon as they, as soon as the movie transitions to L.A., meaning the very next scene, he's completely clean shaven. He looks like a million bucks. Well, I think he's on the job. I don't think he was working before, and that's why he's all like he's just drinking a lot, and not sleeping, and now he's on the job. He's got his mind off of it a little bit. I, I guess it's just he got. I think he cleaned up a little too nicely. Is what I'm trying to say. Well, it's poor casting because if he's supposed to be playing like this, oh, he's just been drinking, he's going through a lot of stuff. Like Scott Bakula looks like he runs six miles a day, like <laughs> pumps out 200 push-ups, and then uh, yeah, off to the office. You know, like, that's the kind of shape he's in. Um, yeah, actually, this, com- this conversation is what leads us to uh, the magic show, uh, and as you had mentioned, uh, KJOC. Oh. You know, what I just realized I I was looking at the IMDb and you mentioned that that uh, that one actor was in There Will Be Blood. Um, he is also in American Beauty, playing alongside uh, Scott Bakula. I believe that's his partner in that movie. Oh, yeah! Wow, the connections, man. Yeah. Good call. Because Scott Bakula, I remember Scott Bakula in that movie. I'm like, oh, interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I had I, I did not I was not aware of that. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't his partner, but he is also in American Beauty with him. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. Magic we get, show. Yeah, we're <laughs> to the magic show. Now, this has got to be one of the most erotic openings for a magic show that I've ever seen. It's kind of funny. Um, I don't know what it was about the early mid-90s, but figure skating and magic. Really <laughs> fucking big. I remember the shit was on TV all the time. I remember my, my family was watching this stuff. I was exposed to a lot of figure skating, this. a lot of magic, and I remember the magic. I remember like this show, the show in the movie, feels very genuine to me. Like I've seen yeah. shows along these same lines. Well, actually, there's something that um, Kevin J. O'Connor mentions to um, Famke is uh, about being um, a Vegas, uh, getting a contract for a Vegas uh, magician. Um, which yeah this is supposed to be his last show in la mm-hmm. so it's like it's the last of a tour i guess so he he comes out or he's actually peeking through the curtain he's like who's that dude sitting next to famke and he and he's oh, yeah, just he's like real pissed like he's upset he just like his um his butler friend just kind of massages his shoulder a little bit and just like don't worry about it you know, I'm now I'm convinced he has seen both of them naked. He's he's been in there in the same. He's time he's as them. been in there, whether they wanted him to be there or not. <laughs> so, uh, yes, there's there's a, a crawl space of some sort. <laughs> frenzy of hand movements. Um, <laughs> so they uh, he starts doing his magic. Um, 
he actually there he he floats up and the two the two um grips are like hey how's he doing and he's like hey, that's magic you see the wires he's like i don't see no wires and, <gasps> and yeah and then he floats back down and presents himself and he he starts doing his magic and i think that he's his last trick is supposed to be this his this newest one or at least this is some yeah the the opening movement of the show is as is customary for 90s magic um a bunch of scantily clad dancers very scantily. Uh, with with whimsical mystical music playing like new agey type shit the and, ladies have basically bras that were chopped off and it's just like the strings but they their boobs are just out yeah and yeah, dude, I'm, I'm not surprised by any of this kyle yeah. <laughs> Very, very. I was raised on this, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we get uh, lots of bluish purple lighting, uh, new agey music. This is, again, I was not surprised by any of this. These production values seem very much of their time. Um, some choreographed dancing, uh, and then we get this tremendous sculpture of some like demon or something that looks like it had a lot of love and effort put into it. It's pretty fucking cool, actually. And uh, it has, it's like holding a, a glass case that's vaguely human shaped. And there's like a skeleton in it. And uh, it fills with red sand. And then uh, the sand molds to the shape of the glass case. The dancers pull the, the case apart. So they remove the glass. And then the sand explodes. And KJOC is in there and says, like, welcome to magic or something like that. But um, also uh, in this scene, Again, uh, welcome to Brown. Google. Yeah, you guys feeling <laughs> yeah. great? He he needs one of those headsets, like with the little with the little microphone. Yeah, it's a, it's a corporate event. <laughs> it's a corporate. It's a corporate. Yeah, it's a it's a private corporate event for Amazon or something. <laughs> Let's get social. <laughs> social. Mm. <laughs> My God. Thank you for showing me that. By the that way, that was great, isn't it? Social. Social. <laughs> You know, you know he wrote that. I he did, but I think he was trying to go for like the B, not the B fifty twos. Yeah, the B fifty yeah, the B fifty social. That's very much social. Like social. Social. Yeah, that's what he was going social. For. Um, another, more brownie points uh, for casting. Um, I really like the audience in this scene. Um, they look legit. Yes, they looked legit because it was not a black tie event. People were well dressed, but they all looked like LA weirdos. Mm. <laughs> and I'm sure a, a large majority of them actually just were. Yeah, um, I like that. Like, it wasn't just you know hoity-toity like waspy types. It was there was a lot of blue-haired ladies in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so oh, yeah. oh yeah. By the way, uh, I, I'm almost positive the uh, heavyset gentleman, uh, Borat's sidekick. Yeah, I think he was in the crowd. He, he he might have been in the crowd. He definitely walked up the carpet. Yeah, um, yeah. He he comes. He like exits a limo uh, mm-hmm. with like a cigar or something. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in the crowd. I was like, hey, it's the fat guy who I've seen too much of his body. Yeah, very <laughs> much. Um, but yeah, so yeah the, he, the uh, last illusion, Kyle. Do you want to walk us through his new trick? So his last trick, I'm pretty sure, is what influenced David Blaine. Um, he has put himself on the rack as it were uh he's he's splayed out like a star and above him he has a rotating 
swirl of swords is the best way I can describe yeah. it. Um, the the swords are just think of like a spiral, and the swords are just around there, and they're kind of going the opposite way of is him, and he is he spinning as well as the swords. Yeah, I think they're both, they're both rotating. So the trick is is he's supposed to escape while these swords are coming down, and he's supposed to move out of the way. Well, wouldn't you know it? He's able to get one hand out, but that's the only hand he gets out. And it, it looks as though this is part of the show. And if this is why I say David Blaine is because David Blaine will he likes to stick himself with stuff, stick himself with stuff. He'll do like the sword down the arm kind of thing. It's stupid. Um, but one sword gets away, it gets you know, just just impales his arm, just bam, just it just gets him. And so they're like, oh no, this. This isn't going right, and then another sword hits him, and like this really isn't going right. And I think it's um, it's Bacula who's like, I don't think this is part of the show. Um, yeah, these swords just basically thoom 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 over yeah, a period the crowd of like is very slow to react. Yeah, they're not. Uh, this this man is bleeding all over the place and screaming, and uh, it takes until he's basically dead oh, he's for dead. anyone to even exit their seats. <laughs> he gets a kill shot, I think, right to the chest, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's like torso. Yeah. Torso shot. Um, yeah, and he's dead. <laughs> yeah, uh, they close the curtain. Uh, people are evacuated from the theater, and uh, Bakula approaches the stage, and uh, he sees like some frayed wires or something underneath the the rack thing that KJOC was on, and uh, he just decides to investigate. Nobody stops him, and nobody comes with him either. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, Famke's distraught, and the butler. I think is equally distraught. Yeah, they're both distraught. <laughs> but Bakula uh, goes underneath the stage and investigates, and sure enough, Butterfield and uh, Skinhead Guy both show up again. Um, they have a scuffle. Uh, Butterfield slips away again. Of course. Go figure. Uh, however, the Skinhead gets impaled. Um, it's kind of tasty. Yeah, uh, he, he gets so impaled. So the, the, the awesome sculpture I had mentioned, the demon thing, Yeah. it has like a mouth with a, a spout coming out of it it's like a steel cylinder Mm -hmm. uh, where the the red sand pours out from somehow it's been moved under the stage and bacula like pulls a lever or a doohickey or something and it slides forward and uh the uh, cylinder impales the uh, skinhead guy and we get a cool shot from behind of like him bleeding all over the place and this thing like pouring out sand out the hole in his back um very reminiscent of Bennett's death in Commando. Uh, so I think he's bleeding sand is what's odd about it. Well, it, it's got a... The spout is shooting out sand, but the, the space around the spout, he's bleeding from. Oh, he is bleeding. I thought he was, like, he was bleeding sand. That's no, why back no, he was, like, looking he at He has, him. like, supernatural powers of some sort, because we do see it, um, the immediate aftermath of him getting tossed out the window. Um, we even get, like, a, an off piece of dialogue um, during the crime scene of investigation that like oh I wouldn't worry about him like he fell out the window every bone in his body would be broken and then yeah. we see him right afterwards he's fine uh, however he's pulling glass out of his torso yeah and uh, does seem to be in pain but not nearly as much as you would expect so um, he's a super tough guy but killable he's dead now he's dead now left me um, in charge <laughs> so bacula leaves the place and he's gonna go follow up on something now where's he at because this is where he ends up um talking to the butler boyfriend uh yeah. 
And where is he at when he's doing this? Is when he he's back- talking to the butler? Yeah, because this is the bribe scene. Oh, uh, so Bakula gets back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a, a nice scene in the police station after the accident, quote-unquote accident, mm-hmm. um, where Bakula is trying to console Famke, who is you know upset that her husband is dead. And he tells her that, you know, I'm doubling my efforts to investigate this because I care about you and your husband's dead and I understand that this is a big problem. Um, Which leads to him going back to uh, Quaid's tarot card office. Mm -hmm. So where everything started for him. And uh, (laughs) he just just walks into this crime scene, this active crime scene. (laughs) He just like barges his way in and he, uh, he roots through some of Quaid's stuff and he opens a secret compartment in a in one of his desk drawers and he finds an address book and he remembers uh the name uh was it jennifer desiderio um i'm not sure if i got this order of events correct but yeah and that's where the bribe happens is that mm-hmm. valentin actually shows up at quaid's office and uh offers him the money there and says please leave <laughs> like just leave this alone go back where you came from this doesn't need to be investigated um which i think oh yeah we did get the order of events wrong <laughs> uh, that comes a little later what happens um, after his death uh so after uh, he dies we get the magic castle maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie do you remember the magic castle yeah, it's where, uh, it's where all the magicians hang out. Well, I was going to mention that in the bribe scene that um, there's a small detail. There's a rainbow, f- uh, a rainbow flag. There's a, it's a rainbow ribbon up against oh, the wall. I had uh, not noticed that. Um, and it, Good eye. So Steph and I, my girlfriend and I, we watch Rocky Horror Picture Show each year and yeah. uh, around Halloween. It's, it's a fun time. Um, <laughs> and I think that the Rocky, the Rocky Horror Picture Show came out, I think about two years after the rainbow flag um was created um symbolizing you know the um, gay rights movement more or less um we thought it was interesting that it was literally like at the same time and i don't know if it if the rocky horror picture show was aware of that if that had anything to do with it um but i have a theory that that was kind of part of it like that was kind of helped putting it out I there as, yeah but it was just it was a it was just a nice little touch i saw the the rainbow the, the rainbow in the background that's again nothing is in a movie on accident mm-hmm. but it also wasn't it wasn't really well known and popular and gay people didn't have the rainbow yet like it still wasn't an official thing now it's very much it's undeniably um gay pride <laughs> long story short gay pride yeah. but I just, it was just something i caught when i was watching it this time no i, I hadn't noticed that could i um but yeah we go to the magic castle to do some and to do some investigating um vincent chevelli is the, yeah. fucking great <laughs> isn't he in uh in batman returns uh mr chevelli is in yes he is he plays the organ grinder with the monkey and the gatling gun mm-hmm. um he is he a well-worn the organ, character organ with the monkey. <laughs> Cat. That's just such a funny sentence. 
what you mean you don't have either of those things <laughs> what kind of household are you running but yeah vincent chiavelli is uh, a well-worn character actor he he's i think he may have passed but uh i think he was in uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest with danny devito mm-hmm. um he's been on like star trek he's he's been in a lot of stuff and he's always welcome like he's always great um he he plays a magician at a establishment called the magic castle which uh bacula goes to investigate uh because he's looking for potential leads regarding who may want to murder uh kjoc uh and his thinking is that are the magicians um, people are either jealous or envious of his his magical talents because uh, that's what he was told by famke is that he's not he doesn't actually have many friends in the magic community um which is a community uh so bacula goes to this place called the magic castle and it is populated with just a bunch of weirdos like a bunch of strange fellows who you can tell like magic magic is their life like they they're they all live and die by their gimmicks and uh, especially magicians in this particular time period it was like wrestling uh, it wasn't yet fake you know it's like the magician's code and stuff you never reveal your tricks so yeah. this is a very tight-knit community and every, like the casting of these characters like everybody is a little off kilter and a little again off the beaten path uh, it makes for some interesting visual elements um and uh bacula sits down with these guys and i think they're having like drinks and maybe playing cards they're or having something. straight up whiskey yeah they're like they're playing cards and drinking whiskey yeah, and he tries to probe them for information about Swan and like if anyone had a problem with him. And Vincent Chiavelli uh, is very standoffish; doesn't want to share anything with him because he's convinced that, uh, like, uh, like Green Street Hooligans, he thinks he's a journo, and he wants to just yeah. out all their all their magical secrets and stuff. And it, it becomes very clear that most of the people in the room did not, in fact, like Swan. Um, but it's there's... funny you mentioned. <laughs> Oh, you mentioned uh, how uh, magic was very popular at this time, um, and that this was still when they were trying to be secretive, like don't tell, like the magician's code, don't tell tricks. Penn and Teller literally had a show where they were showing you how to do the, how these tricks were done. Oh yeah, I remember yeah. watching it. What they dicks. did the same thing with wrestling actually. Uh, they had a, I forget what they called it, but it was like there was a maybe be, there was Beyond the Mat, the documentary that came out in the 90s yeah. that was like the late 90s i think but then there was also a tv series um and they did this for magic also on like abc or, or cbs or something that it was just a uh, the masked magician guy yeah and they did the same thing with wrestling where they would show you like all the tricks of the trade but the people presenting it to you um were very adamant about not being shown on screen because it still had that like carny kind of menti- mentality to it it's like we don't talk about these things you know, I, I bash on it at first, but I think it was actually a really good idea because I remember Penn and Teller vividly doing the gun, like catching a bullet in your teeth, and I could see how they're like, we need to show kids that this is fake stuff because these dumbass backyard wrestlers are like paralyzing each other because they're not getting it, and like you have these magicians, like some idiot trying to catch a bullet with his teeth and just got shot in the head. <laughs> like, <laughs> or sawing to... their girlfriend in half. You know. <laughs> shit like that <laughs> we have to show them that this stuff is fake we have to do this and they all watch prime time so let's just get it, get it out there. 
Yeah, um, that's funny. my favorite, like, probably the best line the whole the whole movie comes from Vincent Chiavelli. Um, so while he's talking to Becca, like he has some sort of vaguely Eastern European accent. Um, Vague is the way to describe it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I didn't. I, I'm not going to name a country because it, it is vague at best. It's yeah. hazy. Um, as he's he's storming out of the room because he doesn't want anything to do with Bacula. Um, Bacula says like, "Nice accent, by the way. Uh, is it Brooklyn?" Hey, fuck and, you! Yeah, Chevelli turns around, completely drops his accent, and says, "Hey, fuck you! All right." Yeah, <laughs> I was good. like, "That's fucking great." <laughs> um. Yeah. So, does this where he roots around a little bit, or does he leave and come back for um, that? The thing that. The main thing that comes out of this is a, uh, a character by the name of Billy Who yeah. <laughs> uh, approaches him as he's on his way out, and Billy Who was actually at the table drinking with everyone, so he's a magician. Um, he pulls him aside and says, you know, all those other guys don't want anything to do with you, but I, I'm willing to help, mm-hmm. so put a pin in that. Um, then we get the scene that I've, I've made a note here, and I'm curious to see if you have anything to say about this but sleeping sideways on the bed is this a thing that is done sleeping sideways oh no 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 so that's that's i'm glad you brought that up i did notice that um (laughs) because he is uh what's the word i'm looking for when he's on the phone he's just like oh god uh just uh there when you fall asleep like that i think that they're trying to say that this person was so drunk that they couldn't fall asleep a normal way or they were so tired and they were like maybe they were like reading or like studying or something like that and they fell asleep like that i think they're trying to say like he drank himself to sleep because that's when he wakes up he's just like doing the what oh he yeah Yeah, he sounds uh, just uh, done like he does not sound anywhere near awake he sounds like he got the shit kicked out of him which he he, to be fair he kind of did twice in the past two days but it wasn't today that's what i'm getting at is that I think there's an implication that he was drinking. I think that the beer in the beginning was kind of setting that tone. Um, and is he sweating in this point? He's definitely oh, got yeah, his shirt he's off. He's sweating profusely. I, I mean, th- he to be fair, he did just have a really bad nightmare. And this is actually what prompts him. To, oh, okay. That this might is be. how he remembers that character's name, the Jennifer Desiderio. This is, mm-hmm. this is what prompts him to go invest, reinvestigate the crime scene is his nightmare. So he has some sort of like esp or something yeah he um, but uh, yeah uh, the reason why i brought it up is because yeah the scene begins uh with him laying on the bed sideways even though the bed clearly has has a right way to lay down in it and yeah his his phone rings and it's it's famke i'm gonna say he was drunk that's the that's, I, the only I, that's why, why i brought it up because i figured like you that. might have some insight and it sounds like that's probably the case um, yeah, i've slept in a gutter before <laughs> But yeah, uh, Famke, uh, very nice nightgown, by the way. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, so he does a, I think he's fucking with us. I think that Clive Barker's messing with us because I was like, is this where, is this where Famke's going to show nudity? Because he teases it quite a bit. Like he's got her in a bathing suit. He's got her in a nice dress. He's got her, um, and in this in this particular uh, scene, she's in a gown where you can see through pretty well, not very well, but pretty well. And he's got Scott Bakula like in some nice shorts. He's all tan. He's fit as fuck. He's all sweaty. He's all greased like, up too. Yeah, he's all <laughs> he's looking good. And he's like, I'm gonna make 
these guys think it's for them, but it's not for them. It's for the other guys. He's giving the eye <laughs> candy to, to. Well, yeah, and it. I mean, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but um, the two of them do hook up later in the movie, and that's she. Yeah. That's when she's wearing the pink dress, like the most hideous <laughs> fucking garment ever put to film. <laughs> but you can tell she's not wearing. She's not wearing a bra in this. Like it was very, uh, very yeah. explicit. Yeah, no. And that's um, when there's I, a I'm couple like, shots in there where it's like, ma'am. Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, shut the window yeah. or something. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that was the, that's when I thought I'm like I didn't know where this movie was gonna turn. I didn't know where this was gonna go. So I'm like, is he gonna? Because he was showing you know boobs at the at the magic show. So I'm like, she's wearing that, and I'm like, I think I know what's gonna happen next. Like I think they're gonna hook up because <laughs> why else would she be wearing that in this scene? You know? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, she calls him. They they flirt a little bit over the phone. And uh, while he's talking to her, though, he's jotting down notes like, from his nightmare. Uh, that name, Jennifer Desiderio. Uh, then we get the scene that we already explained where he goes to reinvestigate the crime scene. Uh, he finds an address book with that name in it. Uh, he records the address and phone number. Uh, Valentin, the, the butler, tries to pay him off to leave. And he says, mm. fuck you, asshole. Yeah. And uh, the very next scene, I think, is at the sanitarium. Uh, uh, Shady, Acres. Yes. Shady, <laughs> Shady Acres, yes. Uh, Shady Acres. Yeah. Make he a cut. To... Can somebody make a cut, please, of them like walking and talking in? Like, yeah, he's been here for a while, and it's Jim Carrey out on the lawn. <laughs> all That'd be people. great. Um, oh man. But yeah, there's a. Uh, he goes to visit Jennifer, and uh, the gentleman who introduces him to the location and like gives him a briefing as to her current condition is uh it's a black guy i can't remember his name but he's a great character actor he was in collateral mm-hmm. he was the jazz musician in that that uh, got assassinated by tom cruise i i'm sorry i don't know his name but uh, he's the doctor like the the, mm-hmm. the head of the facility and he tells him that uh jennifer thinks the devil's coming after her and she's not terribly <laughs> lucid so uh if you want to talk to her you can but uh don't expect to get much and also, Barry Shabaka Henley may, maybe maybe you can clear this up for me because yes, I sir. can't I can't remember and I don't want to go back and check the tape. But uh, mm-hmm. did Bakula like always have like a little bit of like light highlights in the front of his hair? I noticed it at one point, and I think that it was supposed to come after the nightmare. Um, I think so because that's when I first noticed it, but I didn't I don't recall it from earlier in the film. I don't either, um, but. I'm looking at his photos right now, and he is about about 40 years old when this is filmed. Um, mm. It might have been there, and it just might not have been as prominent um, the whole Maybe time. Maybe the makeup I... people forgot to cover it up or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure. But if I had to guess, um, it probably came after his nightmare, if if it does appear. That, that was what I gathered from it. Yeah. Because um, uh, apparently that's supposed to happen if you're scared. Like, if you're, like, scared really bad, you're supposed to get, like, a... Well, yeah, they, I remember streak. the most prominent example I can think of is it, uh, with the, the one bully character uh, when he encounters it, uh, his hair goes like straight white after that. Mm. Uh, Henry that. Bowers or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> um, so he meets Jennifer, and uh, she is she is a little squirrely. There's a reason why she's in a you know confined space. Uh, they go for a little walk and. He starts throwing some buzzwords at her that start to register, um, mm-hmm. namely Nix. Well, no, she she says Nix, but he mm-hmm. mentions Butterfield, and she's like, eh, okay. And that, but then he mentions Swan, and she's like, oh, I know Swan. And 
we do this neat effect where we keep cutting to random shots of a nearby like construction site. It's yeah, like somebody digging construction a ditch, workers. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's some guys digging a hole. Mm-hmm. And we keep cutting to that, and the sound effects of the digging and the, the shoveling of dirt uh, are playing over this entire conversation. And as we keep cutting back and forth, um, you can tell her anxiety level is going up and up and up and up. Yeah. Um, and then it reaches fever pitch, and she tries to run away, and he Bacula tries to stop her, and she mentions that, like, someone's coming back someone's coming back and he's like who and she's like nicks and he's like nicks what the fuck the new york nicks <laughs> and then uh she rounds a corner and gets herself runned over by a car i think that nun could thump uh yeah th- uh, uh, thump his ass dude uh in my notes nurse slash nun looks like she could fuck a bitch up because <laughs> yeah no that that lady looked tough yeah and she stops around. him like she stops him in his tracks um yeah, so um, from here, I think uh, we're going to break into the Magic House. If I'm yeah, not we mistaken. go back to the Magic Castle. Can private... Okay, so he's been he's been breaking into a lot of places. Can <laughs> PIs just break B&E legally? Can they just break and enter? Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a private investigator. I'm allowed to just do this. I mean, if you're handsome like that, I'm sure. He's sure gotten away op- with a lot of shit. I'm sure it, it opens a lot of doors for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's my guess. Well, maybe that's why they hire private investigators is because they have the skills of detective, but they don't have to. Um, maybe they just don't get in as much trouble if they're caught <laughs> breaking the law, catching breaking people breaking the law. The law. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a fun scene. I, I like this whole this this whole um, sequence. Um, them having like a. What do you call it? In an Indi- like an Indiana Jones moment, um, there he sees the symbol on the uh, bookshelf uh, that was carved into is it Quaid's head. Uh, it was carved into the skinhead's head. It was okay. like branded on his forehead. Um, it look, it and, looks like an up. It looks like a trident, kind of, or like a upside down cross or something. And they're just look. I don't really know what they're looking for at this point. Um, they're just looking for stuff. Yeah, they're looking for stuff. It was kind of vague as to why yeah. exactly they're there, but um, Billy Who they, goes with Bacula, and uh, I think Billy is the one who finds the symbol, and it's on a bookshelf, and he just like yeah. depresses it on a whim, and it activates a trap door. Um, <laughs> I like uh, that Billy Who pre- prefaces things by saying, um, like, it'll be hidden. Um, it'll be something hokey. He's <laughs> like, yeah. basically, he's... He knows he knows magic is kind of corny, so he knows what to look for. But yeah, the uh, the trap vault that the that these documents uh, which they find in the wall, um, it it's like a painting that opens up like a curtain kind of, but it's mm-hmm. like a hole in the wall. Um, there's a like a a pressure lever on the floor that if you press it, um, it swings shut and there's blades on it. So if yeah. your hand were in that that hole, you would lose those hands. Yeah. Uh, which, as a magician, your hands are your work. Um, yeah. <laughs> Kyle is doing uh, Siegfried and Roy hand gestures here. He's, he has very educated fingers. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I like this scene too. Um, actually, the trap vault reminded me of a movie that uh, I think I mentioned to you before. It's uh, it's just called Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a anthology. It's like a horror anthology. It's a series of shorts, uh, loose, very loosely based on Lovecraft uh, stories. 
and uh, the framing device uh, throughout that movie is Jeffrey Combs uh, as H.P. Lovecraft um, in some Arab country and they have the actual book of the dead like the actual Necronomicon there and there's like a weird trap vault that he's trying to pull it out of that reminded me of that um, anyway uh, what did you think of the, the hologram monster <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny so I thought like when it looks like somebody like walks past Bakula's kind of a dick here he's like I'm gonna walk over here just walk over that way real quick uh, trying to get whoever's following them out like to get them from behind the corner um, which works um, it's a monster <laughs> it's like a demon monster thing it was pretty good I'm like uh, it comes up and I, I could tell it was a hologram um, but Bakula comes up and this is getting ready to shoot it but then his gun goes through it, and he's like, oh, it's a fucking hologram. But what's the guy's name that's helping him? Billy Who. He's freaked out, like, deservedly. So, like, it, it would be pretty scary. Um, oh, yeah, yeah I thought that was like, pretty bulging good. red eyes and exposed brain. Yeah. Uh, it's, cover- it's covered in blood. It looks it looks like one of the t- looks like one of the brothers from uh, Ghostbusters 2, which you haven't seen. No, I haven't seen Skolari Brothers! <laughs> um... It, but it does look like a Ghostbusters monster or something. But it's semi-transparent, so you can tell it's not real. And it's the only monster in pretty much the whole movie. Um, so, yeah, they... But I uh, guess it's like their, their uh, hokey uh, security device. It's a hologram projection of a monster. It's pretty... I mean, it would work on me. I would run for my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they, they make out with the, um, with the stuff they stole. Yeah, and... they find some documents about like real magic like real sorcery mm-hmm. um the, it's funny the art reminded me of evil dead in the sense that it's all very good like pen and ink like art mm-hmm. uh however the illustrations are kind of comic booky so it doesn't it doesn't genuinely look ancient it it has too much fun to it i guess it looks too mm-hmm. it looks too goofy um and then there's also a couple of stills like a couple of black and white photographs of of Nix, who, again, we saw earlier in the movie. Um, and I think once they have these documents in hand, uh, we get the pink dress. Yes. <laughs> next, I have um, quick turn to a softcore porn setup, because that's exactly what's happening. Like the the conversation, I'm like, is this is this Cinemax now? I mean, did we just did I did I hit the did I hit the button? Do I have Cinemax on here? I didn't know they were still on. Um, because he, he, the dialogue specifically, he's just, he says something to her, and I'm like, yeah, this feels like porn. And then he goes over to their to her place, and then they hook up like legit. Um, I thought that was interesting. I'm like, nice, yeah, that felt like that was gonna happen next. Because also her <laughs> outfit was the other thing. I'm like, that that's not gonna be on for very much longer. I can tell you that well, right I, now. I can't emphasize enough. You should probably look this up. Just this this pink dress to me is hideous. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, and there's a couple of choice lines of dialogue here that I found particularly puzzling. Um, one is kind of like a, I guess the coda for the whole film is uh, the flesh is a trap and magic sets us free. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost positive that's how the film ends. But uh, she mentions that at some point when, when he's questioning her about like the nature of true magic and if mm-hmm. Swan practiced it, which she does confess. Um, but yeah, he, he like approaches her in her home and uh, Swan has himself like done up like Lennon in a, in a coffin 
in his own home and she's standing by the coffin being sad and uh she says to Bakula you can't help me and then he says you don't know that yeah he grabs her by the shoulders and he kisses her and then they're fucking yeah and it's not graphic at all it's just like no, that we just cut to it like they yeah, kiss. Yeah, but just, but yeah, you it. can't help me. You don't know that kiss. Okay, close her off. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought they were gonna do it on his. I'm like, I thought maybe they're gonna do it on his coffin or something like that. I mean, that. I, I half expected it. Yeah. That I'm sorry, Bakula. I know you're a handsome, charming fella. You don't come on to a lady when she's like standing in front of her dead husband in his home. <laughs> There's a really, 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 really heavy scene in Game of Thrones. Um that involves something along this line these lines except there's even more going on with it but there's sex on a at a wake like at the at the coffin it's a it's a confusing time for everyone you know (laughs) i think it's technically rape there's it's rape at a funeral so okay well that's not confusing at all it's just it's very bad that's just wrong it's very 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 heavy in the show um but yeah, so this is where we get my favorite computer graphics uh, <laughs> moment in the film. Um, and I, I wrote it down when I was watching. My computer graphics are fascinating. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't even want to try to describe the, like, this, uh, this sequence of... Because it's the weirdest thing. I don't know what they were trying to get at. Honestly, like if you if you look this movie up you can probably find this sequence um it'd be worth you just watching for that part of it but it's bad um it's just I, weird i thought the fire effects were pretty good the fire effect was good i'll give you that but the cgi origami man not so much not so much <laughs> um I so yeah uh, don't know how that made it <laughs> yeah so what what kyle is talking about is after the fucking um, by the way, decent continuity on Bakula's wounds. Um, he gets his hand injured very early in the film, and then he gets smacked in the face with a fucking board. Uh, I forgot to mention that. Um, he gets he gets his nose smashed in with a two by four. Um, oh, I when forgot he's about that. Yeah. The stage. Yeah. And, uh, he gets like the mother of all ball punches in on Butterfield. By the way, he lifts him up <laughs> off the floor with it. <laughs> he does. <laughs> That's like a shoulder you can to the nuts, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, I thought decent continuity because um, you got to have Bacula shirtless at this point. I mean, this is yeah. this is post-coital uh, Bacula. So, He's got to um, have that shirt. He, off. he hears some noises downstairs and he needs to go investigate. And Dorothea uh, Famke, she thinks it's Nix. So like that's a major theme throughout this movie is all the characters who are in the know about all the magic and stuff. They're thoroughly convinced that this Nyx fella is coming back no matter what. Mm-hmm. He's like a force of nature. But yeah, Bakula goes down to investigate, revolver in tow, and he did not bother to put on a shirt, because why not? Um, <laughs> and he is greased to the tits, like, and he's got the good ab light, too. Yeah, he's got heels on. Oh, yeah, no, he's he's got the, the great overhead lighting going. Oh, yeah. It's spectacular. Um, and I noticed they did some makeup on his... his his torso like some on his ribs too which was like some bruising basically which didn't have to be there but it was a nice detail mm-hmm. um and yeah uh some fire streaks across the tile floor and starts chasing him throughout the mansion and uh but along with the fire we get this like vaguely humanoid shape that's done in like 
like rust colored CGI, and it looks yeah, like a bunch like of that. geometric shapes that I was thinking of like origami, because mm-hmm. it's a lot of like that's what it looks like shapes yeah. and stuff, and it yeah it's like alternatively a fireman and a computer generated origami man. Well, it looks like you know those little footballs, triangle footballs you'd make uh in elementary yeah, school yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just looks like that's being made and and taken apart made and taken apart several times and then just yeah it looks like dude. an unfinished special effect yeah and this is 1995 so cgi was a thing a thing it was a thing but it was in its infancy yes not every not every movie was jurassic park or the mask uh those were few and far between uh but it it just felt like an extraneous effect that's like let's do this thing it's like uh, we don't quite know how and we don't quite have enough money it's like well shit we didn't have a plan b they probably just should have done the fire yeah um um and i think so this is when uh things go tits up for yeah. for everyone uh, pretty much when, uh, yeah butterfield re-enters the story yeah this is pretty much where it goes downhill uh he tortures he he manages to get a hold of the butler dude um he uh kind of a uh, a rough little sequence here he's uh he's basically straddling his his head uh and he's like tell me where they're going and he's like i don't know where they're going so he cuts his gums underneath his teeth which is an odd an odd place to cut somebody but effective nonetheless um so he means business he's like okay now he's like you know i can just pluck your eye out really easily why don't you tell me where they're at? And he doesn't know, so he starts like cutting at his eye, and finally he's like, "There I go." He's like, he knows where Nix is buried. That's what they're he's trying to yeah. find. Is the uh, the followers are trying to find him, and I think he tells them. Um, yeah, if I'm not um, mistaken. I skipped over one thing: is that uh, Bacula learns that Swan is still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, the butler was helping cover it up. Yeah, and so now. Everybody knows this. Well, all the main all the main characters know that Swan is actually alive. So mm. KJOC is back in the picture. Um, they go ahead and they do a funeral for him, which he uh, attends at a distance. And, <laughs> and he pulls uh, his fucking jaw off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bacula proves that uh, KJOC is still alive by going uh, to the body in the coffin and just yanking its jaw clean off. <laughs> yeah, this even shocked me. I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Like, <laughs> whoa, 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 get your fingers out of there. Jesus. This that is, is a, bad... a dead man. Remember Ace Ventura's parlor scene where he's got Einhorn, like, like in front of all the cops? Like, this would have been funny if this was that, except he goes to pull his jaw and he's like a real person, like, oh, shit. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, turns out it's like a very complex mannequin or something. Yeah, um, the casting on this thing's face was actually pretty incredible. Like the the he skin looks like a corpse. It looked legit. Yeah, it looks like a corpse. Yeah, it's um, really good. But yeah, uh, Swan being a magician can't help but attend his own funeral because it is you know it is a kind of an illusion, and uh, Bacula sees him in the crowd and tracks him down into a sewer tunnel, where, <laughs> um, where Swan is shown to be using his legitimate magical powers yeah. to levitate a car over Bacula's head. Yeah, where the fuck did this car come from? Yeah, it's it's in a sewer tunnel that doesn't look even big enough to house. Like, how did he get it in there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, know how I don't either, there. but um, 
He might have actually been magically keeping it on the ceiling, and then when Bacula came in, he just lowered it. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty cool. Like, Okay, so I'm glad that Steven Somers came in the picture because he, he I think he's the one that finally got KJOC to cut his stupid fucking hair because him in... Um, um, deep Rising and his hair in this, I'm like, dude, cut your hair. You look ridiculous. Yeah, he looks like uh, Nick Cage in uh, Next, if you've ever seen that. I didn't see that, but oh, he does. Watch. He does have a bit of a yeah Cage mullet. He, he has he has some plumage going. <laughs> some Cajun Cajun plumage. Kevin, oh, it's nice to finally meet you. You're a hero of mine. It's like you're um, you're real. A real uh, inspiration to me. Uh, guy, guys with shitty hairlines like us, we should hang together more often, you know. Did you Did you see Mandy? You really should. I'm really proud of it. It's, it's, it's a work of art. I'm really proud of it, KJO. See, you, sh- you should come see it. Also, I'll, get you, I'll get you a job on the set next time, you know. <laughs> Maybe you should you come by be... the house. We'll, we'll summer sometime. <laughs> we need a good editor. Have you ever done it? That's okay. You'll figure it out. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know that movie you did with the with the octopus monsters? That was really cool. That was really cool. <laughs> that was really cool. I liked it a lot. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, so uh, KGOC drops his car. It misses. Probably intentionally. But yeah. I liked his acting here. Because uh, yeah. he is exhausted. You can tell he can lift a car. But it takes some doing. Mm-hmm. And... uh. This also starts to reveal... This is where um, Bakula's casting and his involvement in the story actually started to make sense for me. Because I was questioning it, like, most of the movie. He, he just never seemed right to me. Um, what we get from this exchange between the two of them is that uh, Swan claims to be, like, trying to be a martyr for, for Famke. Mm-hmm. But really, he's just afraid. Yeah. He's terrified of Nyx. Like, he's absolutely terrified of Nyx. I am, too. And, yeah, no, he's a scary fucking guy. Yeah, he's, he's creepy. Um, which I'm actually glad they didn't overuse him for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we learned that he's afraid. And why the reason why I say it started to make sense to me is that Bakula doesn't have a reason to be afraid of this character. No, so, he doesn't. So he's he's the guy who gets things moving. Is all the other main characters who have more of a personal stake in the proceedings, they're all too scared to do anything. They're petrified. Yeah. Whereas Bakula, he doesn't have he doesn't have the insight to have a reason to be afraid. So he's just like, "What the fuck's your problem? Let's go get him." But Swan's just like looking well, for excuses for? every chance he gets. Like he he yeah. went to the he went far enough to try to kill himself, like to fake yeah. his own death to avoid confronting this person. Yeah, he's um, he, Kevin G. O'Connor's really good at playing a very, I guess not insecure, but yeah, not a very a not confident person. Because um, that's most of the characters I've seen him as. I think his most confident was in There Will Be Blood, but uh, his confidence um, hits a wall at one point. <laughs> well, um, yeah, he his insecurities manifest in in the sense that he has to come clean at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not, in fact, a relative. Whew, that's yeah. And yeah. That was not a wise choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this is where uh, the the butler is now in the hands of Butterfield. 
and mm. the butler knows where Nix is buried. Uh, the maid, however, did not, and she was simply killed. Mm-hmm. So now Butterfield, off screen, mind you, has abducted both the butler and Famke, and uh, he has the <laughs> he has the butler driving for him, by the way, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he's in the back seat of this car with Famke, and he's showing her his his surgical instruments that he said he built himself. We get a we get a nice exchange between him and her here, where uh, again we get that hint of uh, of gum, of a uh, nebula in him, where she's like, "Why did you wait thirteen years to resurrect this guy that you're like so infatuated with?" And he he actually just straight up says, "I didn't have a teacher. Like I had to teach myself how to resurrect him, because mm-hmm. the guy who was supposed to teach me these things is the very guy who would have taught me how." The you know, guy I'm, who's dead. I'm noticing a common a common thing between this movie and the Hellraiser series, well, at least the ones that he was a part of. Um, pain seems to mm. be mm-hmm. um, a very S&M big stuff. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, very much in Hellraiser. Um, I mean, the whole point of the Cenobites is they torture. Like that's what they do is they they torture people uh, for eternity. And <laughs> pain seems to be a part of this as well. Um, but it's a little bit different, and here, like the, the sidekicks, I, I, maybe torture is a better way to maybe better way to yeah. describe no, it. It's um, definitely a connection. Um, I mean, I, I wonder, don't know. Maybe Clive Barker is into that particular kink. I don't know. No, I, I'm I'm thinking more along the lines of like you mentioned. Um, he's from a different generation of um a, a different generation of gay where. It wasn't accept- It wasn't widely accepted. It was probably much harder to be um, out, and mm-hmm. maybe that. Maybe that's kind of the, I guess, the motif, or maybe that was how he's putting it. Like it's very tor- like it was torture for him to be, like, not out or just well, to. No, I, I I think that that's probably accurate because mm-hmm. I mean, again, Nightbreed. The entire concept is it's a surrogate family of strange otherworldly beings that find each other and leave mainstream society because they're shunned mm-hmm. and it means it's it's all dealing with taboos i guess like yeah i, I just beyond the beyond the mainstream kind of stuff i haven't i just kind of came to that realization i haven't thought about it or read about it enough to really discuss it now but i just it just kind of no, popped into my head it's all just theory and conjecture on my part yeah. it's just yeah. noticing certain themes and patterns i'm sure somebody's written a paper about about clive barker um i i think he's a fascinating guy i'd be curious to read it because everything i've read about him sounds like just an interesting fella um, i might look for again, some articles i feel i owe it to him to pick up one of his books at some point because i've i've read about him and watched like think pieces and in fact i watched a documentary about the making of hellraiser which he also directed yeah um that was i'm gonna look at google i'm gonna look at google scholar see if i can't find a paper written uh like a an academic paper written about clive bart clive barker you you let me know not clive owen um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh, are we uh, to the showdown now yeah um long story short uh, Butterfield has the butler dig up Nix, and uh, he slashes the fuck out of the butler off screen. Oh, but uh, Bacula recruits Swan, and they drive out to the gravesite together, just in time to find the butler dying. Yeah, um, we get a pretty cool line of dialogue from the butler, which 
he's he's like portrayed like he's framed as kind of like a squirrely untrustworthy character early on especially when he tries to bribe him yeah um but he's redeemed around the time swan is brought back into the story um his last words i liked he says uh, my apologies to more you're about to lose one more uh, mm. in reference to like i don't want to lose any more people and then yeah. it just expires and it's pretty cool but um also in that scene uh, when they find uh valentin uh kjoc his acting was pretty good um mm-hmm. so uh bacula jumps out of the car and immediately goes into the into the hole where they extracted Nix from to investigate and uh kjoc just stays put and he actually like you can see him like talking to himself saying like get out of the car get out of the car get out of the car because mm-hmm. again we're trying to emphasize that he's terrified yeah. and it takes some doing and even when even when his like confidant like his butler the man who like watched him wipe his ass like every day of his life um even when he's dying uh swan is just like looking off into the distance and facing away from everything and he's just he he just wants nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. and it takes back bacula pretty much has to like bully him to get him to come to get back in the car and go to the the crack den where this all began yeah, where the cult people haven't aged a day. I know that was a little weird. <laughs> like they've still just been like hanging out there, and they look the exact same age. Yeah. Uh, so it, apparently Butterfield got the word out real fast, pre pre internet, mind you. Um, he got the word out real fast, and the whole he got the whole band back together in the same place. Yeah. Um, so everybody comes home. Uh, get this like orgy slash celebration where they're all like rubbing up on each other and yeah. like shaving their own heads with ba- like dull knives yeah i called it the fuck room the fuck um, yeah very much so <laughs> it's it's the fuck room uh they're all boned up um so they've dug him back up basically and that was kind of what you mentioned earlier at the asylum the guy's digging and digging and that's kind of uh, yeah that's a foreshadowing yeah foreshadowing so um they bring him back they take off i think they take off the the metal mat the the iron masks um because it's like a two-piece it was like here and then they put another one over his mouth yeah there's there's a piece that goes over his eye and his his forehead and then another piece that's affixed on top of that that covers his mouth um um by the way this sequence when they're removing the mask from him is actually probably the reason i pick this movie for you i figured this whole last scene was yeah. uh why you picked it because um, the the makeup effects and the editing and the use of music um it all kind of comes together here yeah and that sequence in particular when they're removing the mask i thought was very well done it's very good visual storytelling because not a word is spoken during that whole like minute long scene um yeah he gets out and uh he is famke in his clutches and he it's cool i like the the makeup on him it looks pretty good um this yeah, is where I, he's is what, he's like rotten and like slightly mummified but i like the imprint of the mask on his face yeah so he's like he's brown and this is a very white gentleman mm-hmm. so his head to toe he's his skin is like rotted and kind of brownish um but the portions of his face where the mask was making direct contact with his skull uh 
you know when you take a band-aid off mm-hmm. yeah it looks like that where it looks yeah. like it's been deprived of air and the circulation is, isn't as good as the rest of him so he has like these lighter portions of his face that are gooier it's just really good makeup um this is where i had the note um have people in cults never read about cults uh <laughs> because he i think these cult people are like are willing to sacrifice themselves for him they're like they take me take me and uh he's like you all are a bunch of fucking losers and he basically like they sink into the sand like the there's no floor they're just standing in sand and they all sink down and I thought this was cool. This was the the part that I thought was neat. Is they all get stuck in the sand, basically. They're all, like, heads and a little bit of a hand here and there. Um, I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, that, that actually really upset me when I was young and saw this movie for the first time. Because mm-hmm. I was, like, nine years old or something when I saw this. And for some reason, the, the people being buried alive and him, like, very cruelly dismissing them... Uh, upset me like it made me a little scared i guess Uh, more so than the other effects in the movie but um yeah basically he's saying like i'm i'm back to like show you the the secrets of the the realm beyond so like death i guess Mm -hmm. um but he actually says to them like i escaped from the grave so now i need to give back yeah so he tells them he tells them what's going to happen but they don't really care they're too busy stroking each other and stuff yeah, they're, they're oof, they're having some having a good time. Whatever um, whatever like whatever ecstasy or molly they got must have been just <laughs> dynamite. Uh I, I like that effect though of him like opening a rain cloud indoors. Yeah. Know, the the grounds that was, up. That yeah, was pretty cool. That was, it was pretty very good. unique too. Um fun little note here. Uh again, lending credence to the Nebula Gomorrah connection. Uh when Nick's first is resurrected, his first words with Butterfield in the room are, uh, where is Swan? <laughs> so yeah. So it's like, oh. Where's Gamora? I, I studied for 13 years to bring you back to life. And you yeah. ask about the other guy. <laughs> it's been nice of you just spit in his face. Like, you ask about you. the guy with the bad hair. It's like, you think these pants are comfortable? <laughs> like, um, th- now, this part of the movie, I was pretty much just visually, like, we were rounding like rounding down here. I'm like, okay, I'm not really paying attention to what they're saying. I'm kind of just visually taking in the movie now. Which um, is how so, to do it at this point. Yeah. I don't, it's all just kind of, so, uh, he does have a nice little from beyond uh, yes. hole in the yeah. head. Uh, I was yeah, waiting yeah. for it to shoot out like the, uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> never it never popped out all the way. It just kind of stays yeah, there. He prairie dog. He never got his uh, his angler fish thing. <laughs> <laughs> from beyond, man. That's a that is a weird movie. Yeah, I actually have a a movie that I recently put on our list of upcoming episodes that uh, makeup technicians who worked on that. And mm. I think yeah, a couple of the cast members are in, so stay tuned for that, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, I I can't really describe this scene verbally, like just visually, <laughs> what's happening. Uh, so let me run through the series of events. Um, Bakula and Swan break in. Um, Butterfield tries to fight them. Um, we have a ma- a magician's battle here. Uh, it's very brief, but um, Swan barfs a, a snake made of fire 
out onto a table and it, it bites Butterfield on the face and horribly burns him and scars him. Uh, Nix is chasing Famke around the house. Uh, Bakula manages to find him and uh, Nix does his uh, fingers in the temple trick to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get uh, a repeat of that face tearing effect we saw at the very beginning of the movie. Um, and then <laughs> Famke again shoots him, this time in the little uh, antenna hole in the middle of his forehead. Yeah. But mm-hmm. just like before, he gets right back up. Um, he has he has some strange dialogue, Nix does. Yeah. Um, most of that. what he's saying is that very culty stuff where it's like, I don't quite know what you're trying to say, but it sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, really good one I, I noted though was I wasn't born to show people the error of their ways I was mm. born to murder the world I mean that's kind of how Hellraiser talks too like he's just this is not for your eyes yeah. like, that, just, it, yeah. it's, you know it sounds good it sounds actually, good yes. when you actually break down the meaning of the words being said it, it's pretty empty Yeah, but it does sound really cool it's more like poetry I guess Like just focus on the flowery nature of it yeah um <laughs> we get a funny moment here where uh nix is trying to convince swan to rejoin him mm-hmm. and kind of like a i don't know like a beaten dog swan has he he has these automatic responses where he like collapses onto his knees and nix is trying to convince him to rejoin him and everything that is said to him no matter what it is he just responds hollowly like in a hollow manner i guess uh with just yes just yes, yes. He, yeah it it sounds like an abusive relationship or something. <laughs> he's falling back into the pattern i guess yeah and it's it, it, well acted but um as soon as famke enters the room like uh nix is like wait, wait hang on you still care about her and uh, nix takes offense to this and uh, we get these like crazy zoom effects where he he's doing like psychic x-ray punches on swan and like it's kind of cool actually like uh, the camera zooms into different parts of kjoc's body and like you can see like ribs snapping and like his heart like getting punctured and his brain getting like punched in and stuff but but with every one of these zooms uh, he says a different word he says will you never learn <laughs> that's really cheesy and stupid but it's violent. It's kind of yeah. cool. Um, yeah. Um, long story short, because there's a whole mess of effects here, and it's just not worth going into. Um, nah, it's just... Nick's... I don't know how to describe... I described it as, like, sea slug made of shit. Um, so he has, he has these, like, prickly, like, semi-transparent gooey bits coming out of him. Yeah. Like, and... And it looks like if you've ever seen a sea slug, it looks kind of like that unraveling. And I'm guessing they just like blew compressed air into some some weirdly shaped and textured balloons. Really interesting makeup effects. But uh, <laughs> another quotable from Nix in this scene is, um, "I was a man who wanted to be a god but changed his mind." And then I don't know what to make of this. But the follow up to it was. Um, I'm going to be rotten shit now. That's that's very strange. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't I don't get it either. But anyway, he goes into like full on monster mode here. It's like his head turns into a skull with these like shit covered sea slugs coming out of his eye holes. Um, 
Bakula asks Swan to levitate him for no reason? And then he, like, slides him up to Nyx. Uh, Bakula sticks his hands inside of Nyx's eyes. Yeah. And, thro- and throws him into this... Oh, there's a there's a portal to hell, by the way, that opened up or, in the middle of the room. A portal to the core, I'm To the core, say. okay. I think to it's a portal to the core. A, a, a portal to uh, Hillary Swank. Core portal. <laughs> yeah. A, por- a portal to, to rejoin Hillary Swank and... Uh, all them people. What is that one? Uh, God damn it. Core. Just, yeah, just Core is the name of that. <laughs> the Core. Yeah, it's the Core. Yeah, okay, Wasn't yeah. Aaron Eckhart and Hillary Swank? Or I the other way around? Yeah, it's so. the other way around because Aaron Eckhart's not a household name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought he was after I watched uh, Thank You for Smoking. I'm like, oh, this guy's a big deal now. And I'm like, nope, just not at all. Like, he just Dude, dropped I, off after. I liked him. Yeah, but you know you can't do shit like I Frankenstein and you know Olympus has fallen and be, be you know a top drawing. Star. You haven't seen Thank You for Smoking. I have not. Bam! There we go. Okay, I'll add it to the list. Uh huh. But yeah, uh, Nyx goes to the core. Um, KGOC dies. Uh, KGOC uh, dies again. Again. And he met the president uh, of the United States. Um, <laughs> the uh. The house starts to collapse in on its... Well, it starts to, like, blow up, because I guess Nyx is not quite dead, so he's, like, shooting his hell essence up <laughs> from the core. Um, we get a really badly CGI'd effect where uh, KGOC gets picked up by, like, a indoor hurricane, and his flesh is stripped from his bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very extraneous CGI effect. Uh, again, the money and the skill were not quite there. Still better than the origami monster in the mansion. Yeah, still better than the origami monster, but did we really need this? Why couldn't no. why couldn't have just ended? You know, it could have ended, but I do like what they did. It, uh, wait, you get sucked down. Man, I feel like Steven Summers watched this movie a couple times before. <laughs> Seriously, because or I wouldn't maybe, doubt it. Because it seems he gets, right up his alley. He gets sucked down to the bone, and then he's a and then he's a uh, skeleton basically. Uh, which is happens in another movie um, that has uh, Kevin J. O'Connor. The well, maybe um. <laughs> I could be wrong, but maybe Stephen Summers was a special effects technician, and maybe he worked on this movie. I don't. I'm know. actually gonna look it up right now while we finish this up here. <laughs> uh. But yeah, uh, biggest thing that I I mean this the whole end of this movie is kind of a mess, but it has some really nifty effects, especially the makeup and stuff. Um, the levitation thing just still sticks out at me as like a what the fuck kind of moment because it was not necessary and the way he defeated Nyx he just kind of sticks his hands into his eyes and throws him it's like why did you need to be elevated three feet to do that <laughs> I'm sorry can I can I stop you real quick I'm sorry we, we talked about something I think on the thing or we were talking about a movie about makeup effects and I told you that there was this um, guy from the makeup department and I couldn't remember what he looked like, but he definitely has his black and white picture with his Oscar. It's Howard Berger. Howard Berger. Have you not heard of him? Um, I'd he, have to see a picture, but um, he, I'll, I'm gonna give you his. Uh, he's. I, I'm sorry to take a, take a like to no, take no, a no, break in here, but um, this was driving me nuts for so long because we talked about this a long time ago. Uh, he has done. A lot. I'm still scrolling through. I'm at 2001, and I'm still like, there's so many movies. I'm just gonna, I'll start real quick from. I want to find the 70s. So, 
Day of the Dead, special makeup, Invasion USA. Um, oh, I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Evil Dead 2, Again, Creep like Show I said, 2. I had to see a face. Um, he featured very prominently in the, uh, that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street documentary I've told you about. Bride of Reanimator, um, Several Tales from the Crypt, Misery. Um, Wishmaster, Night of the Creeps. Army of Darkness, Maniac Cop 3. A lot of a lot a lot of stuff. Yeah, Pulp he, Fiction, he looks New like Nightmare. a heavy metal roadie. He's done Lord, yeah, he's Lord of Illusions. I'm like, oh my god, I finally found him. It's, it's here, um, but yeah, he's done Spawn, Boogie Nights, Scream. He's done fucking everything. Yeah, I didn't know him by name, but I, as soon as I saw his face, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, um, I was cool. I was looking for uh, Steven Somers. I think I'm just gonna look him up and maybe find out. But um, anyway. But yeah, the the movie ends with uh, Famke and Bakula uh, walking off into the desert. I guess they still had a car so they could leave, which is good. Um, But it's kind of funny because I wouldn't have minded, actually, if this became a franchise. Like the the ongoing chronicles of Harry Damore. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I've neglected to mention uh, during the Origami Man uh, sequence, during the fire chase, when Bakula is shirtless... He has mm. a very intricate tattoo, like a very interesting glyph of some sort on his back. I didn't... Oh, yeah. They, we never see it, do we, though? Like, we keep kind of getting hints well, at that's, it. Like, that's the only time we see it, because yeah. it's the only time he's shirtless and he has his back to us. Um, but it's very big. It draws a lot of attention to itself, and it's never addressed, which no. makes me think there's more There's more of a story to this character. Um, in fact, I should probably look this up right now while we're looking stuff up because I feel like this is a literary character of some sort. Yeah. This is I feel like there was a character that's featured in Clive Barker's works. I don't notice anything explicitly. Like I feel like there's some stuff cut out of this. I feel like there was more to this movie. Um there's a few scenes that, like, I'm like, man, it looks like they cut something out. Like, even the sex scene, like, because they kind of... Oh, yeah, it, it's it's too brief. Yeah, to I feel like... It's not even Bond sex. It's, like, the, just, like, fade to black, and then we're done. The build-up to it was... It didn't get its due. Like, I feel like they built up to it, and we were going to actually get, like, a good 90-second, maybe 90 to 40, 45 to 90-second, like, sex scene or something like that, but didn't happen but i feel like there could have very well been because there's a few other instances where i feel like the the editing it jumps kind of abruptly and i'm like i feel like there was more to that scene it um, may have been budget related because this movie is very front and back heavy very much um, the middle is kind of slow and the special effects are mostly relegated to the back half of things yeah um and also in 1995 i think clive barker's star was beginning to wane because mm. Hellraiser and I know Nightbreed was very expensive and that was the late 80s or early 90s I think and it was very expensive and not very successful mm. and that was like entirely his baby uh, so I could totally see maybe the studio being a little yeah, um, reticent about dumping a bunch of money into the hands of someone who didn't really knock it out of the park last time yeah um, so I could totally see that where it's like we 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 have a first and a third act, but we gotta we gotta pace it out for the middle because we don't have any money. <laughs> but yeah, um, like I said, I don't I don't really have any like super 
strong attachment to this film. It's just there's certain images and moments that really stuck with me because I, I did see this when I was very young and parts of it did like legitimately kind of scare me. And yeah, I like I I am glad that I looked up this character because I guess he is part of an like an ongoing series of stories. This Harry Demore. Hmm. Um truthfully, I wouldn't have minded if they made another movie. In fact, there's just still time. So like ahead. Deep Rising. Man, I feel like Famke got screwed out of a couple of uh, franchises because Deep Rising could have been a fun one. Yeah, we talked that, about I mean, that. they had a sequel bait at the end. Yeah, and they could have. Yeah, they could have kept going with this. No, well, hmm. I mean she she found her franchise later. Yeah, X X Men's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she found it. Yeah, yeah. Fam- yeah. Famke's doing just fine. Although yeah. those Taken movies kind of went up when. Went up yeah. Shit <laughs> um, uh, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about Lord of Illusions? No, I mean it was it was kind of fun. Um, better than Hellraiser, I'll be honest. Because um, as Kevin J. O'Connor, who I I enjoy, uh, he always has a nice presence. Um, yeah, he's always welcome. <laughs> yeah, very front and back heavy. Um, watch it for. I'd say give it a watch. It's fun. It, there's there's stuff you can <laughs> find interesting. Alrighty. Well, thanks for joining us for Lord of Illusions. Um, yeah. Join us next time as we catch up on cinema. Yup, yup.